You're listening to Preserves, a Manitoba food history podcast, exploring the rich, flavorful history of Manitoba food and the people who make it, sell it, and eat it. From the packing table to the dinner table, from restaurant specials to grandma's secret recipes, we consider the cultural, social, and commercial aspects of Manitoba food and what it means to us. I'm your host, Kent Davies. As per usual, I'm joined by Manitoba business historian, Professor Janice Deason. Hi, Kent. So what's in the pantry for us today, Janice? Today we're learning about Riediger's Supermarket, which is a business that had a very long multi-generational history in North End Winnipeg. Yes, this is a, a series of interviews you conducted about independent grocery stores in Manitoba. Can you can you talk a little about that project? Yeah, we conducted a, a series of interviews with a couple of independently owned, family-owned grocery stores. This one here in Winnipeg and then another one in uh, L'Atelier. And we were interested in uh, the changes that have happened in the grocery industry over the last 50 to 100 years. You know, the shift from... Uh, corner stores that were independently owned to what seems to be the dominant player uh, in the industry now, these large national chains that are uh, have a totally different ownership structure. So yeah, obviously the grocery landscape has changed significantly over the past century. Uh, we still have a number of corner stores around the downtown area in Winnipeg, but independent stores are few and far between. But then again, you know, we've seen the restructuring of the large grocery store chains. Some are being bought out. Uh, some are just closing down stores. And then we've also seen small specialized, I would say maybe boutique grocery stores or bakeries and butcher shops and the like pop up. Do you think, you know, there might be a trend towards smaller shops again? Yeah, you've you've highlighted um, an important point here, and that is that these trends are never monolithic or all-encompassing, right? That they, there's always those who are going against the grain and smaller trends that combat it, right? Uh, and so, you know, this is one of the things that a um, former student of ours, Brendan Dvorak, uh, presented in his Story of Food in Place on our website, where he talks about um, a cup of coffee in the desert. And he, he's looking at North End Winnipeg and you know its reputation as being a food desert. And he says that it's a food desert in the sense of if what you're looking for is large chain grocery stores. Yeah, there's not many of those in the neighborhood. But if you look at independently owned small businesses producing one specialized item, uh, butcher shops, coffee roasters, things of that sort, that, you know, it's actually, the North End is actually a very rich food area. Definitely. And we know that from the restaurants alone. Um, yeah. Just the countless amazing restaurants in the downtown core area in the North End. Yeah, so I'm, I'm excited to hear about this, this story of this independent grocery store that was um, located in North End Winnipeg. Let's give it a listen. The retail sale of groceries in Manitoba has changed significantly over the last century, shifting from peddlers in streets and stalls at Winnipeg's Old Market Square, which was established 1889, to corner stores and nationwide grocery chains. As Manitoba Food History Project team member Kimberly Moore explains in our forthcoming book, street peddlers were regulated as early as 1885, with the city of Winnipeg requiring licenses with fees that ranged from $25 to $75 by 1904. 
and by the 1930s, prohibiting sales by peddlers between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. Perhaps the first corner grocery store in the province was that established by David Anderson Ritchie at the corner of Main Street and Jarvis Avenue. It opened in 1882 and folded in 1929. Grocery chains arrived in Winnipeg in 1929 with Mutual and Piggly Wiggly, both owned by Safeway. Many of their employees joined Local 832 of the United Food and Commercial Workers Union after it formed in 1938. By the 1980s, grocery chains had supplanted most of the independent grocers in the province, and UFCW Local 832 expanded to become, in the words of Manitoba Food History Project fellow Scott Price, one of the biggest and most influential private sector unions in Manitoba. While independent grocers still persist in Manitoba, and some, such as DeLuca's Specialty Food Store and Dino's Grocery Mart, even thrive and expand, their architectural traces throughout Winnipeg are evidence of their slow decline and disappearance. Small, one- or two-story buildings dot the city, distinguished by their angled placement at street corners, their large main-floor picture windows at 90 degrees on either side of its central entrance. Some of these buildings have been converted to private residences. Others house convenience stores, with their original, now-unused butcher counters still incongruously in place at the back of the shop. And some have been knocked down and replaced by other, more modern facilities. Riediger's supermarket was one such independent grocer, its physical presence in Winnipeg's North End now replaced by a Tim Hortons donut shop. Riediger's was founded on Isabel Street by Heinrich or Henry Riediger in 1937. Henry and his children sold groceries from behind a counter in the traditional general store format. Henry had had experience as a shopkeeper in Russia. Born in Nikolaifeld, Yayakvo, Russia in 1884, Henry Riediger moved in 1912 with his wife Helena to Arkadak, Russia, where his son Nick Riediger, later known as Nick Sr., was born in 1922, before the family migrated to Canada in 1923. They farmed unsuccessfully in Saskatchewan for several years and moved to Winnipeg, Manitoba in 1935. Henry's grandson, Ken Riediger, described how Riediger's supermarket began. They started with a little store on the east side of Isabel. That was their first one. They were there for 10 years, like from 36 to 46 or 47. When our grandfather started that store in 1936, he borrowed $50 from this Dr. Neufeld to start that store. And that's how it got off the ground. And then they moved across the street and built a store with an upstairs where they could, my grandfather could live. And then we added on twice onto that store. Once in the late 50s and once in the late 70s. But my mom and dad used to live up there when they first got married. And my Aunt Susie lived there after her husband died. Serving a clientele of primarily immigrants and inner city residents, Riediger's offered credit to their customers. Betty Riediger, wife of Nick Sr., explained. So they started out so small that most people have no money. So when they came in to buy something, it was always on credit. You know, my father-in-law was, he had a list this long, people that he gave credit to. And, um, you know, the people were migrating from Europe and they all wanted to, to shop somewhere where they could speak their language, like the German language. And so they came to, to Riediger's because there they could talk it over and um, 
and they would buy a few things. If they didn't have enough money, my father-in-law said, that's fine, I'll just write it down. But they could take home whatever they needed. And they were getting a lot of customers because, you know, there's quite an influx of immigrants coming. And so then um, they decided that, you know, we should get, get by, build a bigger store. The family had little access to capital, however, nor could they obtain a bank loan. Instead, Henry Riediger turned to his son, Nick Sr., newly returned from his war service. In exchange for part ownership in the store, he used his $5,000 Royal Canadian Air Force Severance to help the family build a new self-serve grocery store in 1946 at 188 Isabel Street. Betty Riediger noted that her husband's investment did not result in his immediate involvement in the day-to-day -day running of the store. And when my husband came back from, from the Air Force, I mean, he didn't know anything about the store. And so they decided, well, there was a, a meat market on Sargent. They were also German. And they said, well, we'll, we'll hire you for $100 a month, and you can work here for a year and learn the, the meat business, learn how to cut meat. So that's what he did. The business grew steadily, with a building expansion in 1953, incorporation in 1955, and another expansion in 1976. At its height, the store employed three full-time butchers and operated three delivery trucks. Betty recalled that this progress led Henry Riediger to gradually include all four of his sons in the business, Henry, John, Vern, and Betty's husband, Nick Sr., as well as his two daughters. And uh, my father-in-law was so happy. And then he has another son, a, another one who was three years younger than my husband. And he says, well, let's take him in too. He says, I don't want to leave any of my family out. So there they were, my father-in-law with his four sons. And he had two daughters that needed work. So they worked in the store. And he always hired people that, you know, from our church who were, whose children were looking for after-school work. And they come and work after school for a few hours and so on. Oh yeah, everybody, you know, it was just like a, it was a really a family thing. And we all loved it. It was hard work, but it was all good. Customers were attracted by the store's small size, its meat counter, and its selection of German specialty items. As Carl Engelotz explained, where else could Oma pick up baking ammonia for those peppermint cookies? Betty Riediger explained. I mean, where in the world would you buy baking ammonia? Because that's not something that has yet. Quite a few of our Christmas cookies have that in them. And so at Christmas, they would, people would come in especially for, for that baking ammonia. The store adapted their stock over the years to accommodate the arrival of new immigrant groups in Winnipeg's North End, including Portuguese, Italian, Filipino, and Asian people. As Bob Hummelt stated, Pig's ears and tails were now featured alongside the Rouladen and Verst. Customer Deb Fast was a Riediger's supermarket regular. She said six aisles, not an overwhelming number of choices, and a great produce and meat department. They had the best choice of apples in the whole city. Marlene Kruger-Wiebe recalled a childhood of shopping with her father at the store and the generosity of the Riedigers. She said, when I was a child, my dad, Bill Kruger, would drive from River Heights to North Kildonan to shop at Riediger's supermarket. At the store, we would always get these amazing crispy buns with soft bread on the inside. They were shaped like huge almonds. 
One Saturday, we were standing at the meat counter and Dad was ordering cold cuts from Nick Riediger. I saw the pork chops and my mouth watered, but Dad said we would not be getting them today. I was crestfallen. When we got to the checkout, the cashier handed us a package wrapped in butcher paper. It was marked free. I was overjoyed. It was the pork chops. Mr. Riediger's generosity to me, a little girl, that day will never be forgotten. Though a grocery store, Riediger's supermarket also sold some unusual non-grocery products from time to time, such as Polish-made Wawel China, and in the 1950s, even refrigerators. Those were offered for sale by installment. As Bob Hummelt explained, considering the low wages in the 1950s, a refrigerator would normally be unobtainable for many years by a young family just starting out in Canada. In addition to importing German specialty products, the store relied on a combination of local suppliers and wholesalers. Beginning in the 1980s, Riediger's was negatively impacted by a combination of increased government regulation of food suppliers and consolidation of grocery wholesalers, circumstances that affected all independent grocers. You know, like just talking about independence, we used to get the guy from Bozager Creamery, he would come and deliver butter. He had the best butter in the, in the province, but then, you know, then his business closed and then yeah, and all of a sudden you, it's another less guy you see and now you got to buy the butter that everybody else has. You know, and then the, the too many regulations always, so pretty soon there was nobody coming to the back door with their product. Just the vegetable man. Yeah, all those things changed, you know, all that, those personal things. You know, the candy man, like we had this, at Christmas time, we had this little Jewish fellow, Irving Weinschenker, and he made all the Mennonite candies in his basement in the north end there. And, and he would always deliver candies to the back door there. And he would pass on, and then another guy gone. Yeah, it's just life. Produce was provided seasonally by Evergreen Hutterite Colony in Somerset, Manitoba. Meat was supplied by Tony Fodorero, an independent butcher in Beausajour. Fish was obtained from indigenous people in the north end of Winnipeg. For 50 years we bought fish from them. and One day the conservation officers came in and gave us a $1,300 fine and said, you can't do that anymore didn't go through the fresh marketing board or the fish marketing board. Like many independent grocers in the province, Riediger's wholesaler was Western Grocers until 1983. They wanted control over all the independents. They wanted to tell us what to advertise. They wanted to be able to look at our books. They wanted, they wanted control over us. And everybody said, well, no. So then we had to, everybody had to switch to McDonald's Consolidated, which runs Safeway. Riediger's supermarket provided credit and delivery to their customers and made contributions to community organizations. They donated food to community picnics, to Rossbrook House, and to the Freight House Community Centre. They delivered discounted groceries to Knox Day Nursery's lunch program, and they delivered milk to 25 local area schools. Deliveries to customers and charities in the 1950s were challenging, as the business did not have a delivery vehicle at the time. They did have a truck later on, but when my husband you know, when we started there, they did all their delivering on a, a bicycle. And as two older brothers, well, they weren't bicycle riders. So my husband often talked about, you know, people would buy flour, it came in 98 pound bags, like almost 100 pounds. 
and uh, and everybody did their own baking. You know, we didn't have bakeries around then. And he often talked about how he would have to deliver this 98 pound of flour on his bicycle over the Salter Bridge, and in the winter when it was icy. And my husband wasn't a big man. He was, he was almost one of the smaller ones of the family. And he said, what a struggle that was. What lengths you went to. I mean, and they didn't charge for delivery nowadays. I mean, you know, I think most people charge already if you're going to have it delivered. But in those days, they didn't, you know, you didn't pay for delivery. Sometimes I really don't know how they, how they made it, you know. I always feel that somebody was looking after us. <laughs> it was a very difficult start, and it was a very difficult ending. But the years between were very good. Those very good years between were supported by some very long-term employees. By the year 2000, Riediger's produce manager had been employed there for 45 years, and most of the other staff had worked there for 20 to 25 years. Though not a paid employee, Betty Riediger assisted with the store in various ways as she was the wife of one of the owners. She and Nick Sr. and their children lived in the apartment above the store for many years, which made her unpaid assistance convenient. One of her uncompensated tasks was to launder the store's aprons and cleaning cloths. You know, and I didn't have an automatic washer or anything like that. That was one of the jobs I did. She also was expected to entertain family members and business associates with little to no notice. It was treated like the family home. So, well, you know, you don't say anything because you want to have a nice, peaceful family. The store was a three-generation business. By the fourth generation, family members were encouraged to find other occupations. Founders Henry and Helena Riediger died in 1954 and 1946, respectively. Their children ran the store until 1981, when the grandchildren took over. Ken Riediger's children, part of the fourth generation of Riedigers, all worked at the store at some point. Yeah, my boys would drive the truck. They would deliver and do cashiering. And my daughter would cashier, and they were good. I told them as soon as they were old enough to understand English, you know, which was back in the 80s. I says, you will not be doing this. He says, get an education because you're not doing this because it's, it's too hard. I don't want you to do this. You had to work too hard, plus th the business wasn't getting better. So I says, get an education because you're not going to do this for the rest of your life. It's a kind of business you have to be there all the time because you're okay. just putting out fires. That's all you do putting out fires. You know, as business, you know, didn't get any bigger, when people would quit or retire, we would never replace them. My brother and I, we'd just work harder. We'd work more and we'd work harder, and that's how it kept on going to the end, because you couldn't afford to hire anybody anymore. Yeah, it was too, too tough a life. Just as Ken Riediger encouraged his children to aspire to a better future, a similar process was happening with the store's traditional clientele of fellow local Mennonites. They used to live all around that area on Isabel Street. That was close to our church, and, and uh, they liked that area. But as they got, as they became more affluent, they moved out into the suburbs. And there was, you know, big Greek grocery stores. And so it was much easier to shop there than 
once in a while, a lot of them, they came back at least once a year at Christmas. But you know, all this came to an end because the times changed. A 1988 article in the Mennonite Mirror comments on the family's hopes for expansion of the store, but sales were in continuous decline for decades. Nick Jr. explained to a reporter, I don't think there was one year when our sales went up for 20 years, but the cost of business never goes down, and the longer we stayed open, the deeper we were sinking. I couldn't live with bankruptcy. I couldn't live if I did that to our creditors. Riediger's supermarket closed in 2012. The location was sold in 2013 and the building demolished the following year. A Tim Hortons franchise took its place. Ken Riediger was sanguine about the end of his family's business. No, nothing is forever. I know nothing is forever. Everything dies. It was its time to die. Like 10 years earlier, I wanted to sell to Tim Hortons. I said, Nick, I said, this is a perfect place for Tim's. And then I phoned them up and they weren't expanding at that time. And then in 2012, then I told the real estate agent, phone Tim's. Yeah, that's what we did. We sold it to them. There's no Tim's around there, nothing. And there's 20,000 people coming over that bridge right in front of their store every day, 20,000 cars. And they knew it was a gold mine. Betty Riediger was similarly philosophical about the closure of the store, viewing it as part of a larger history of food retailing in the province. Nowadays, those, those kind of stores are obsolete, totally. I mean, they have no place in this world anymore. You've been listening to Preserves, a Manitoba food history podcast. Produced by myself, Kent Davies. Written and narrated by Janice Thiessen. Hosted by Janice Thiessen and myself. Our theme music is by Robert Kenning. Preserves is recorded at the University of Winnipeg Oral History Center. You can check out the OHC and the work that we do at oralhistorycenter.ca. For more Manitoba Food Project content, information, and events, go to manitobafoodhistory.ca. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you have a Manitoba food story and you want to share it with us, contact us by clicking on the contact link on our website. Preserves is made possible by a grant from the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada. Thanks for listening. (music) 